0: Welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast. We are up to episode 35, I believe. Um, Getting back in the groove here a little bit. I wanted to keep the momentum going. Um, Listen, all of these episodes are special to me, but this one uh, takes on a a little bit more meaning. Um, As the one thing I always preach to comics whenever I'm asked to teach a a comedy class most important thing you could do is listen to your audience and uh, over the last couple of days the one thing I've seen from my social media pages is I'm getting a lot of likes I'm getting a lot of positive feedback to pictures and posts I've had up about my very brief and limited um, contact with The Daily Show and Jon Stewart and I am going to take a cue from all of you and Give you the story and the background and, and my experience with John and The Daily Show. Um, I, The way I got kind of brought into The Daily Show was, was complete, you know, luck, to be quite honest. Um, in 2012, I was doing a show at Caroline's. I was working a weekend. Uh, Kevin Pollack was the headliner and one of... The featured comics um, opening for Kevin was a, a comic by the name of Rory Albanese. Rory was the executive producer of The Daily Show, and I didn't realize how close. But he, Rory, was basically John's right hand man. And uh, this was in last weekend in February in 2012, and I was the MC for the weekend. And as an MC, the one thing I tend to do is a lot of improv. I tend to do a lot of crowd work. And Rory had watched me because I would introduce Rory onto stage, and you know, especially when we had the back-to-back shows, Rory really got to see me work. And he came up to me after the one show and said, um, "Dude, you're you're really good at improv and crowd work. Have you ever thought about doing warm up for a TV show?" And I said, "No." I said, "To be quite honest, I've never been asked. I don't know what's involved." He goes, "Well, you know, I would really like to bring you in." And and see if it's something you're interested in. And, you know, I I went down and I met him. And Elise, at the time, was in charge of booking um, the warm-up comics for The Daily Show. And they said, you know, take a watch and see if it's something you could do. And I saw what, you know, the comic did for warm-up. And I I know their warm-up comic very well, Paul Mercurio. Um, He's very funny, very talented. Another guy very good with improv. um, And I... Said, yeah, I feel really comfortable doing that. I, I think I could do it. And during that time period, um, just to show you the connection that started to develop, uh, in April of that year, I lost um, my absolutely beloved uh, Maltese, Spike. Uh, he died on April 19th, 2012. So I met him in February. Went over to the show in March, and in April I lose Spike, and I got a call from Elise saying, you know, can you come down? And I said to her, Elise, you, th- this is going to sound insane, but I just lost my dog. I'm a little broken up about it. Um, you know, can I, can I pass right now? Just, g- just give me a week to kind of get my faculties together. Looking back, um, it's probably something incredibly stupid to say uh, at the opportunity of being a warm-up for The Daily Show. But eventually when they do ask me to, to come back and watch Warm Up again, I realized that second time how telling that was of the relationship that was about to build. And as I get there, I see a dog walking through the hallway. And I go, oh, my God, what's that dog doing in the hallway? And she said, we all bring our dogs to work here. You know, it's, it's part of what we do. And she looked at me and she said, you know, that's why I, I kind of got it right away. When you had lost your dog and and we didn't think twice about calling you and bothering you and you, we wanted to give you an opportunity to mourn the loss of your dog. So right off the bat there was this incredible connection uh, with that show that way and you know I was so I watched warm up and I felt pretty good about it and I didn't hear back for quite some time that was in May of 2012. Um, I thought maybe they had forgot about me, or you know, the the dog thing maybe backfired. I don't know. Uh, the fact that I, you know, I I didn't want to come down because I was mourning the loss of my. I don't know what happened. Uh, then finally, I get a call in November uh, of that same year, and Ali says we're ready to bring you in to do warm up, and I said, Oh my god. Yes, I would love to. It would be amazing. Uh, thank you. And uh, the the exact date was November 8th, 2012. And the show starts taping usually around 545. They want warm up there, 530, every now and then 515. I live in Jersey. I have to commute in. Um, I got there. I think it was about a quarter to five. <laughs> I was so nervous about being caught in traffic and being late, screwing something up. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave super early. Worst case scenario, I'll walk around the neighborhood, kill time, then walk into the studio. Um, but I got there super early. And I was as nervous as the first time I was getting up on stage. And by this point in my career, I've I've done over 1,600 comedy shows you would think you don't have this anxiety but this is the daily show this is the most emmy decorated comedy show in the history of television and not only am i working on a show that is maybe the best show on tv i'm a fan of the show and to understand what i mean by fan of the show you know i'm going to give you some more background information on me as a little kid I'm I'm talking little, six, seven years old. If I did well in school or I was to get, be given any reward or my favorite thing during summer months or when there wasn't school, if you asked me what I wanted, my answer would always be to be able to stay up late and watch Johnny Carson. I was a, a TV head grown up. I was um, a, a complete fan of the movies and to see the stars... On that couch talking to Johnny in this casual way was just something that I I was I don't know how or why blown away by Um, some people even called me an old soul to that extent. And, you know, whatever, I, I just love Johnny Carson. When Johnny Carson left the Johnny Carson show to this day, I still haven't seen that last episode because I was really bothered by the fact that he wasn't doing the show anymore. In fact, of all the strangers, and when I say strangers I mean people I never knew that passed away that brought me to tears, Johnny Carson is probably the only one. Um I mean I just loved Johnny and to have never been seen the show and you know never been part of the show or anything like that was was very, you know, emotional for me, heartbreaking for me and here now as an adult in the entertainment business i have this opportunity to work for this great tv show and and the the guy behind it who is the most emmy decorated performer on this type of platform this is a huge thing for me and i'm going to get into you know warm up comedy and 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 how a lot of comics feel about that later but you know that's what this meant to me this was huge so that's why I was there super early. I was super nervous. They took me through and, and gave me the you know the spiel of, "Here's what you're going to do." And the guy who did it was the, the stage director, and he's a, a guy by the name of Craig Spinney, and he's, you know kind of a big guy. You know he's a, he's a burly guy, not a fat guy, but he's, he's this big, you know, kind of burly guy. And he, Spinney looks very intimidating when you first meet him, he looks very serious. Um, he's the stage director and he, he gave me very specific instructions and he he wasn't joking about it or anything. He was dead serious. This is how you do it. Um, this is exactly how he want it done and, you know, do it well. And it was, you know, these were strict orders and I was like, OK, I think I got it. Um, and I was just as nervous as the first time I ever took stage. And sure enough. You know, I'm waiting, 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 and I don't realize that, you know, the person coming out to the copy machine at the time was this, this uh, intern, Clayton Porter, who's making copies, and eventually what happens is pink sheets come out, and that's the last round of copies for the the cast and, and everyone working on the show to know that, you know, the show is out of rewrite, it's completely done, and now we're just waiting for John. Um, eventually, Craig Spinney walks around the hallway into this room where I was waiting, looks at me and says, all right, go ahead. I walk out this door down a ramp towards the studio, bend around to the left, pick a microphone, and basically walk out into the Daily Show studio. And it's my job to get these people laughing and pumped up for a show. The, the best way to describe what warm-up is is you're bringing – a room of strangers, a crowd, really. That's what it is. It's a crowd. You're you're turning a crowd into an audience. You're explaining to them what happens. You're explaining to them that this is a live-to-tape show, that the reason they are there is to be an active part of the show, not just watch it passively, but to laugh, um, to applaud when they feel the need. Yet you know not disrupt the show in any way but most importantly especially with a show like this is you know to get them in the mood to laugh get them ready to laugh so as a comic you have to be on you can't miss I wasn't about to do material um I decided to just do all improv when I walked out there and started doing this um my first line hit and from that moment on as a performer if you've ever experienced having just that unbelievable performance where you you just know you're nailing it it's almost like an out of body experience and as i was doing this warm up it's almost as if physically i was one step behind me watching me do this it was just Everything was hitting. It was natural and all my jokes and I was able to connect people. And that's part of what I do with improv is try to connect one person I spoke to to another person I spoke to across the room. And the reason I try to do that is my goal as a comedian when doing improv and doing crowd work is to make the crowd smaller. And what I mean by make the crowd smaller is not to eliminate anyone from the crowd, but is to take a big room. And literally turn it into a living room. Make it feel like everyone is sitting around, you know, listening to one person speak in a tiny room. Make it as, conversation as po- conversational as possible. And, you know, sh- that's what I mean by shrink the room. You know, take it out of the venue of a theater. Take it out of the venue of a studio. And make it just a living room. And that's my goal. And that's what I wanted to do. And my jokes were hitting Everything was fine. And then sure enough, yeah, you know, the stage director, Craig Spinney, comes out and he gives me the signal, wrap it up. So at that point, it's my goal to now get them, you know, now that they're laughing, get them crazy. And, you know, now I pump them up and I'm getting them riled up. And I introduce John. And this is the first time I'm ever meeting John Stewart. So what I do is I introduce John st- crowd stand standing ovation as I'm walking towards him now I have to hand him the microphone that I've been using because now he's going to do a and a and I remember switching from my right hand to my left hand wiping my right hand to make sure that my palm wasn't sweaty because all I can think of is make sure you don't shake his hand with a sweaty palm you unbelievable nervous ass and don't screw up the microphone handoff so all I'm thinking is hand the mic shake his hand and be grateful and get the hell out of his way. So I walk over, I hand him the mic, I shake his hand, and he pulls me in and says, "Dude, who kills warm up?" And I looked at him and I remember saying, "Thank you, John, for the opportunity." And his reaction to me was, "Dude, that's exactly the word he said." And and his what he meant by that was, "Dude, you're not listening to me. You just killed warm up. Who does that?" And you know, I. Looked at him and I thanked him again. And he slapped me on the shoulder, pointed to me, and said, Vince August, everybody. And that's going to be a big thing that's going to come up in a couple minutes. And I remember walking off the studio floor and I came around. There was the first wall there um, where the globe is. And, and, you know, you have where the guests sometimes they showed the a guest picture. And Al Madrigal, the correspondent, is standing there and he looks at me and goes, Dude, you just crushed warm up. Who does that? And I looked at him, I went, oh my God, I went, thank you, Al. He goes, that, that, that was incredible. Walk around the wall, and here's Rory Albanese, the guy who brought me into all of this, standing there. The only way I could describe it is like a, a gangster with his arms out, and he looks at me, he goes, come here, come here. And I come in, and he literally gave me a hug, looked at me and said, I have been talking so much, crap about you today about how you're gonna kill this how good you are how you were gonna nail it he goes and I told everybody and they all looked at me yeah 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 he goes and you just made me look awesome he goes dude you crushed that gave me a hug I looked at my I didn't know what to say I was like Rory just thank you thank you so much I walked up the hall and I was just about floating um. Again, the the person in charge of booking at the time, uh, she's since elevated very much higher into the company, uh, but the person in charge of booking warm-up at the time is Elise Terrell, uh, Elise Terrell King. Um, she watched warm-up because she wanted to watch and see how I did, something she never, ever does. She was waiting for me, and she went, oh, my God. She said, that was awesome. She goes, I never watch warm-up, and I... She goes, I have to tell you, my face hurts from laughing so much. She goes, you absolutely crushed it. She goes, I think you're basically going to be our backup warm-up guy. She goes, I, I I don't think we need to see anything else. You're our guy. I walked out of that studio, and I have to tell you, it was one of the more incredible days of my life as a stand-up comedian. Really was. Um, I, I. I remember racing home to tell... My fiance Eileen, I called my friend Gary. I, I was I wanted to bust. And it's very rare that I tell people I kill. Um, but I nailed that one. I really did. And it was an unbelievable feeling. Uh when you talk about being a warm up comic, you know, people say for whatever reason comics have this I don't know, they, they look at being a warm up as Menial, uh, demeaning. I, I don't. I don't understand that. I never did. Um, I don't understand why comics crap on the position of a warm-up comic. In fact, Adam Carolla did a movie. I think it was called Road Hard, where he was asked to be a warm-up comic, and it was because of somebody he came up with, and he thought it to be demeaning, or he thought it was to be you know under beneath him as a comic. And I have to tell you, I have the complete opposite take on this to me, the notion of being able to go in and warm up an audience for the most successful television show in the history of television one 2 to have an involvement with the most successful show in the history of television on any level is absolutely an honor. I think it's flattering It's incredible to be associated with that type of product. Let's forget about the people that I'm going to get into in a minute and how special they are. But just to be involved with that kind of product, why why would anybody crap on that? I have no idea. Um, I understand why Paul has been doing it for so long. One, he's good at it. Two, why, why wouldn't you want to be? Forget about the pay. Forget about everything else. It's unbelievable in terms of an opportunity to learn from the best and ultimately my goal, I don't know about every other comic, is to get into television, is to have my own show and this is a chance for me to learn. Now, mind you, I'm not there from day one from minute one during the course of the day. I'm there in the very tail end of the day, but you can kind of see the machine operating and learn from it. So to me this was a tremendous learning experience. So I don't know why anybody would crap on it. Um I I was honored to be there, flattered, blown away. Um, and by the end of that year, I had warmed up the Daily Show um, I believe maybe five times. Um, 2013 rolls around, and this is the year that my Supreme Court case is being heard uh, in the New Jersey Supreme Court with my whole judge-entertainment conflict. So here I am, I'm about to lose my judge position, as everyone that's in the know is telling me. And I'm going to be given this ultimatum eventually. You could be a judge or you can be a comedian, actor. You can't do both. And what comes and falls into my lap but this opportunity to warm up The Daily Show. So that helped me make my decision with regards to staying in entertainment a lot. I mean, being part of that show, to me, was the clincher that I was going to give up the robe. Um, if, if there was ever a doubt, my involvement with The Daily Show removed that doubt. 2013, I started doing a lot more warm-up. In fact, because I had done, at that point, about nine or ten warm-ups, um, it had gotten around I was getting pretty good at this. Um, I warmed up the Colbert Report um a couple times in the month of february and then what had happened was i guess paul was busy doing some work they had asked me you know are you available to do warm-up for like the next three or four weeks and i was like are you kidding me and i said no they go it, it's yours for the next couple of weeks as long as you want it and it was it couldn't be better timing um, financially um in terms of n- needing the money it was right on the mark i needed the money in terms of getting up in front of an audience and working on a regular and consistent basis it was getting me up you know now i was doing 10 spots a week including warm up for the daily show so now i'm 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 getting sharper again um you know not that i wasn't getting up a lot but now it's 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 consistent and i'm i'm really fine tuning and getting sharp especially with my crowd work my improv stuff um in terms of my confidence you know, working and being part of that. But something else happened. You know, because I was showing up so early for the show, what I would do is I would go into this one waiting area and basically try to be a wallflower, stay the hell out of everybody's way. But I would watch and I would listen and learn. And what I started to find out was what John had done at the Daily Show was surround himself with incredibly smart people, um, incredibly funny people, hard workers. But what he had created there was such a family-friendly environment. Again, people bringing their dogs to work. The relationships between these people, it, you, it was truly a family. And You know, he was the prime example of that because it started with him and trickled on down. And anybody, you know, all I did was hand him the mic and stay the hell away from him (laughs) and and just try to stay out of his way. Even then, he would walk into that waiting area and say, hey, Vince, how you doing? This is the star of the show. This is one of the most popular people on television asking me how I'm doing. And you saw that, and it just permeated the building. And everybody said hello to one another. Everybody made sure that here's this warm-up guy who's here part-time, shows up, and is here for you know way longer than he should be because he's, he's got OCD and he doesn't want to be late. And I'm trying to stay out of everyone's way, and they're pulling me in to make me feel welcome. That's what was going on. Um, in February of 2013, I get the decision that from the Supreme—I'm sorry—the Supreme Court hears my case. I don't get the decision. Supreme Court hears my case, and sure enough, the story goes uh, national news. I'm in Trenton in the Supreme Court for the hearing. My only concern that day is get me the hell out of Trenton, get me back to New Jersey, uh, northern New Jersey, where I can get changed so I can get to the Daily Show and warm up the show. And I I raced home, I got changed, and I wanted to get to the studio. It was slowly becoming my happy place. By this point, I was up to having warmed up the show about 20 times um, over the course of three months. I was kind of getting in a groove, still nervous as all hell, but I was, I was, it, I just loved it. I, it, now it, this was, this was my favorite place to be. It was my happy place. And I was learning and listening and watching and just becoming a sponge. And there I was on this day that, you know, the Supreme court argue, oral argument and everything else. And I go there and people start walking in and saying to me, dude, you're a judge. Why did you ever say anything? And I'm like, well, I didn't really think to bring it up. And you know, I, I didn't see John, and I went out. I warmed up the crowd, and I walked over, introduced him, walked over. Here was the mic. We were going to do the handshake, and I hand him the mic. I shake his hand. He pulls me in, and he looks at me. He goes, well, thank you, Your Honor. With that pause, with that John Stewart look and that smile, and he looked at me. He's like, dude, you're a judge. <laughs> and he took the mic from me, and I looked at him, and I sh- shrugged my shoulders as if to say, yeah, I just never thought it was important to bring up um but that is John Stewart in the moment here's a guy about to do his show he's in rehearsals all day you know they're writing they're rewriting he's getting his staff together but at that moment it wasn't take the mic get the warm up guy out of the way it was dude you're a judge um that's John and and that's what he was that's what he is always in the moment always responsive to the people around him um always in tune to what was going on in the show and and it it was really incredible to have that moment with him and sure enough the you know the next week I was there and he came in and came into that waiting area and again this is the guy who's running the most popular show maybe on television certainly one of the most notable shows on TV and what does he do he comes in to talk to me about the case and see how I'm doing. The the part-time warm up guy who's there for an hour a day, he's worried about how I'm doing and what's going on with me. That's John Stewart. And the more I got to talking to people, the more I learned that John wasn't just the comedian on the show who was, you know, reading the jokes that people write, which I hear, you know, he's got this incredible staff writing jokes. Of course he's funny. You have no concept of what's happening there. If that's what you think, John was the guy who held that thing together. He was the captain of that ship. Um, You know, the, the way I equate John to, you know, to put an athletic perspective, John made everybody else on the field, on the court, on the ice, whatever you want to put the analogy to whatever sport better. Um, his energy, his focus um everything just permeated into everyone else, and it made everyone better. the professionalism, the respect off the charts, the way he treated people, um the way he was laid back coming through the hallway, coming around i sometimes I would hear him singing, you know, and, and then whatever song you would sing, all of a sudden he would turn it into the lyric into vince august. You know, and I have to tell you, whenever I did warm up, I walked out. I never once introduced myself to his audience, never once. And the reason I never did that was because it's not about me. I am listed as warm up comic for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. I am there to warm up the crowd for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. I am not there for me. This is not about me. This is not about my name. It's not about getting Twitter followers or anything else. Um, I never introduced myself once to that audience. I made sure to make it about the show and getting the show better. Never about me. And I would hand him the mic and he would hear probably the last couple minutes of my warmup. He would take the mic from me. And if it was an especially strong warmup, good job. Great job. Always, always acknowledging the job I had just done. Always. Smack me on the shoulder. Point to me and introduce me to the crowd. Vince August, everybody. This is Jon Stewart, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And he's introducing the warm-up comic who just handed him the mic. The man has no ego. He His kindness knows No boundaries. Um, Whether you like the show or not, and and I'll tell you this about the show. There were some topics that they covered um, that I disagreed with the way they covered it. There were some interviews where I I didn't feel John was necessarily fair with the guest at times. Um, Those instances were far outweighed by the number of times the show made me laugh the number of times his interview was so you know in, informative uh, the, the, the his questions were probative so the, you know the the positives far outweigh the negative in my mind, but there were certain times believe me where I thought he was taking certain issues too far um, where he really wasn't giving the guest given the guest an opportunity to explain themselves and maybe put the guest a little bit on a defensive. i I can see why people. Would think that the show was liberal, which is is asinine. It's a comedy show. Um, I, I can see why they would have that view of John based on those few, you know, episodes or or, or segments that you know even stood out of my mind. But let's not mistake ourselves. That show was brilliance. It's comedic brilliance, and you have to think about how fast it's being churned out, four days a week. You know, and, and the way he was able to orchestrate that, you know, if if you know nothing about com- comedy and television, believe me when I tell you, the man is a genius. That staff is brilliant. The people that were able to bring that show together are as talented as anybody you will ever come across in this industry. Um, that was a fine-tuned, oiled machine, and. You know, through 2013, I was lucky to be a part of it. And then towards the end of of 2013, um, I was going through some really difficult times. I had just lost the position. You know, then by that time, the Supreme Court had given me an ultimatum. And I I chose to give up the robe. That was disheartening for my dad. Um, He was very proud of me as his son the judge uh it was something that was difficult for him to deal with um by this time i had done warm up for the daily show about 30 times coming up on on almost 40 you know occasions um my dad was getting sick and th- this was again my happy place it was a place for me to go and you know kind of forget for that one hour um, it was such a huge part of of what I was doing, you know the fiber and everything of who I was and what I was doing at that point. Um, my dad passed away in January of twenty fourteen, and again, who sends a basket to the funeral home? The daily show you know I had been there fourteen months in in a total of maybe fifty performances over the course of that time it's it's a it's a unbelievably small fraction but when they found out my dad passed away they made sure that they had flowers there they made sure they reached out to me to see how i was to call me part-time a part-time employee there is even stretching it i, I mean you know i i was a, a passerby this is the way they treat their people there this is the way, you know, this is the way they took care of their own. And I have to tell you, you know, going through losing my dad, um, the next thing I knew, they gave me on-camera extra work. You know, they kept me busy coming back to the show and, and doing, you know, doing warm-up, and it really was, it was sanctuary for me. It, it gave me a place to go and get away from everything going on. And anytime I went there between dogs in the hallway, between, you know, just the positive energy in the room, that environment between loss of a dog, loss of a dad, um, loss of my career, that place had such a positive vibe that it really made everything that was going on negative in my life okay. The other thing I had lost in 2014 was a TV deal. Um, We filmed the pilot in 2013. I had a contract for a TV show. By January of 2014, my dad passed away uh, in the second week of January. By the fourth week of January, I had lost a TV deal and what would have been life-changing money, an opportunity to be on television 40 weeks a year, five times a week was gone, I was going through a lot. And I have to tell you, walking into that building, walking out of that building, it that one hour and that 10 to 15 minutes of warm-up somehow lifted me up. That's how incredible of an environment Jon Stewart created at that place. Um, over time, I could tell you that the relationship with the people there um, grew. It, it got better. Um, the The guy, the stage director, Craig Spinney, who I was intimidated by early on, um, started to become a friend. Um, the, the The music PA guy, Rocky, you know, I would check in with him. And here's something Rocky did for me. Just to give you an idea. Again, you know, the, the, the guy who would come in every now and then and do warm up. Here's Rocky in the booth saying, listen, you know, you, you, you really seem to get these people riled up. Um, you know, why don't we work on entry music for you? And they wound up using Fallout Boy, "Light 'Em Up, as something that they felt was consistent with my personality because of what I was able to do with the crowd, how I was able to get them crazy. And, and Rocky made sure to time it perfectly every time I walked out. This was their attention to detail. Um, There was one instance where John sent down one of the executive producers to talk to me. He made a point in a meeting during the morning when I had been filling in for Paul because Paul was out in L.A. filming something. He made a point of saying, someone go talk to Vince and please let him know how great of a job he's doing in Paul's absence, how warm-up has been consistent. We haven't lost or skipped a beat. Vince needs to know that. Talking to people, John was the type of guy that, when he was on the lunch line getting food, if the intern was in front of him, you know the intern would look to say, "John you, no, you're in front of me online. you go first i mean i I can go on and on and, and I know I'm making this guy sound like he he walks on water and leaves glowing footprints in terms of the entertainment industry, he does. He does. He walks on water and leaves footprints metaphorically as an entertainer, as someone who forget about what he created as a show, forget about the careers that he helped develop that spun off from that show, but just the, the what he instilled in people in terms of how to work with one another in this business, a business that is so cutthroat, a business that is so competitive, a business that could be so high pressure, intense. And listen, I worked on what would you do, and it, it was a great environment, um, but it it didn't come close to that that environment that was at the Daily Show. It didn't. So anyway, yesterday, August sixth was John's last show, um, my last warm up gig. For the show. uh, When the hell was the last time I did warm up? I I did it a hundred times. From November. 2012. Until now August. 2015. So it's a little bit less than three years. A hundred shows. As you can see. uh, It's it's by no means a high percentage. It's a very low percentage. Of the time that I was there. And uh, May 27th. Was the last time I did the show. And. They reached out to me. They invited me to a live screening uh, in the original studio where they were going to have Comedy Central people and press people to watch it. And they invited me to the after party um, where John was going to be with all the correspondents. And when we got when I got to the after party, um, which was on the the Intrepid uh, Space Museum. It's basically the, the, the aircraft carrier off the West Side Highway in New York City. The only people that were invited were people that worked for the show that were part of that family. And everyone treated everybody with such respect, dignity. I mean, it was incredible to have people involved with the show, you know, call me over to take pictures with me. I mean, it's just insane how unbelievably kind, generous these people are. And they're all a product of that man, John Stewart. Um, I, I can't tell you how incredibly kind he was to me. I can only try to explain it. Um, I saw him, of course, at the party. I walked over and, and thanked him for setting an unbelievable example for me as I'm going out to L.A. in the next week um, to discuss with a a production company a potential show from me and you know what they say certain things are placed in your path for a certain reason well i think john stewart was potentially placed in my path so i can learn that if and when the day comes that i do have a show i'm going to treat that staff and everybody involved with it the way john stewart did i am going to pay attention to detail and focus the way he did and create an environment where people are happy to go. That on the day he decides on walking away, everyone's in tears because, you know, the, the sense of loss in, in, in what he meant to them. Um, let me tell you something else about John that's absolutely great. I want you to consider the fact that here's a guy leaving on the top of his game and his reasons for leaving are to spend time with his family. And I don't know how much you people listening out there love your family, but he's turning down $50 million to be with his family. Now, some of you may be cynical about that as you, some people are just cynical about everything and, and look for a reason to sh- to crap on everything and to hate on everything. And some of you may be listening to this thinking, Oh my God, this is a, a a 40 minute kiss John Stewart's ass podcast. You know what? I don't care uh, because this is what he deserves. This is, I'm trying to set an example for you of what a boss should be like, what every work environment should be like. Um, So if you're looking for the cynic part of this, you know what? That just shows what kind of a crap person you are. But anyway, let me tell you something else about what John has done here. By going out at, at 52 years old on the top of his game with all kinds of ability, walking away from money, he is leaving a turnkey operation to the next potential star in the industry, Trevor Noah, who has, I mean, oh, my God, what, what a hurdle he has to, to jump in trying to establish his own personality, get people, no one's ever going to forget John, but get people to know Trevor and love Trevor and what he's doing for his own voice, you know, establishing his own voice and, and creating something that's unique to Trevor. Um, He's set up this opportunity. Now, sure, listen, if John gets bored in six months and calls his agent and says, listen, I want to get back into TV, there's going to be production companies and and networks lining up with checkbook open, ready to take pen to check and throw him money. So, yeah, you could say, oh, it's a big deal. He's walking away. You know what? That's not always the case in the entertainment industry. Entertainment industry is very fickle. And sometimes when you take yourself out of the game, it's very hard to get back into the game. Uh, It doesn't necessarily work out that way for everybody and sometimes you know what for as much as people love john you know sometimes there isn't what they call shelf space for the you know the new thing that john may want to do um, now what do you do then start you know moving around shows this and that that that's not what he would do or what he would want to be so the fact that he's walking away at the top of his game for his family pfft, what an example of as a human being um You know, he's got a a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old. He wants to spend time with his kids. Turning down $50 million. Well, that's a guy who loves his family, no doubt about it. Um, To walk away from an environment he created that was so family that it brought him to tears to leave. That in and of itself, forget the money. That in and of itself, that's another family for him that he's walking away from to do right by himself and enjoy his wife, his kids, I mean, this is, you know, the definition of a, a man doing what he's supposed to be a father, a husband. Um, really in, inspirational. The fact that he's abdicating a throne and leaving it to someone else so someone else can grow in that position. Again, how many people hold on to that position too long? I don't know. Did Letterman hold on too long? Did Leno hold on too long? Who knows? Um, You know, Carson left at the top of his game. At least I felt he did. Um, So, you know, this this is all, again, part of the personality who has become Jon Stewart. And this is me sharing with you what it was like coming into contact with him and why when you look at certain positions like warm-up comedian and people, you know, crap on it as being insignificant or whatever you know what let me tell you i will take up that warm-up comic job over pretty much most jobs you will offer me as a stand-up um any day i won't trade this daily show experience for anything uh it was such an incredible experience you know, I have to tell you, I watched the Emmys for a long time and I was watching the Daily Show win every year and it was starting to irk me after a while. I wanted to see Colbert win. I wanted to see other people win. Having come into contact with the people at the Daily Show, now I know why they won so many in a row. Now I know why that show was a success. Uh, it, it's truly incredible the mark he left. He is everything that an entertainer should be in this business in terms of personality personality. In terms of professionalism, simply put, it took me 46 minutes to say it. John Stewart is the best, guys. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, if you think it was a 46 minute, you know, kiss John Stewart's ass podcast, too bad. You know what? Fine, whatever. This is my tribute to John. This is my tribute to. Everybody at the show that treated me with kindness, Craig, Spinney, um, Elise Terrell, Jesse Kinevsky, um, oh, my God, just everybody there, Justine, um, all of the camera guys, Phil, TJ, Franco, everybody in the back room that was just treated me like family. Thank you for bringing in the guy who was there in this, you know, insignificant part of this big machine and and welcoming me and again you know they say the fish thinks from the head well guess what it's also what defines the fish when it's you know when it's the best so hope you guys enjoyed this little peek into what the daily show was for me and this tribute to john and the daily show um next week new podcast uh, then go to L.A. and, and hopefully, um, who knows, some good things will come from that. Everybody, thanks for listening.